Timothy 3, 16-17 All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Before I pray and we get into the message, I thought maybe I could just take a second to introduce myself. Uh, my name is Chandler. I'm the pastor at First Baptist Alcoa. Uh, my wife is not here because she is very pregnant. Uh, we're having our first child, a baby girl, in December, December 29th. So I'm giving her the night off, as I do, as I try to do most nights these days. Um, but we've lived here in Alcoa for about a year and eight months or so. It'll be two years in February. I came to be the student and family pastor at First Baptist Alcoa, and now I'm just the pastor and still doing student stuff. So that's that's actually partially how I know Ash. I came to this coffee shop once. That's one way. Uh, the second is that on my staff is a guy named Cody Barnhart, who some of you know, infamously. And uh, I won't I won't even have to say anything more. I don't think. Uh, but you can all pray for me. And the third reason is because uh, actually the mother church, Pleasant Grove Baptist Church with Ash, has partnered with our church to do youth activities before. And so uh, we really appreciate Ash and all of the ministry he does for, with us and, and for me. And uh, appreciate your church and all the ministry you all do in Maryville. So uh, let's pray as we get into the word tonight. <coughs> Lord, we thank you for... The gift that is your scripture, it is a good reminder on this Reformation Sunday that our, our beliefs, our life are norms and held accountable to scripture and scripture alone. It is the only sure and trustworthy guide of all that we seek to do. Uh, we pray that as these words that were written by Paul and inspired by your spirit are looked at this evening, uh, that what is preached would be true and trustworthy and correct. And where uh, I fail in my flesh to do that, I pray that it would just be forgotten. Lord, we thank you again for your word, and we pray your blessing over our time together in it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, maybe you were like me, and not that long ago, you remember seeing on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter kind of a meme that was going around where people were asking, if God could write a letter to the churches in America, what would it say? There may have been a version of it that said, if Paul could write a letter to the churches in America, what would it say? Uh, 
And, and maybe you saw some of the feedback people gave, which was uh, he did write a letter to the Church of America. He actually wrote through Paul 12 or 13, depending on how you feel about Hebrews. And then he wrote several others uh, from Hebrews, James, First, Second Peter, First through Third John, Jude. He also wrote Revelation, which is a letter. And within it, there are seven letters addressed to seven different churches. So, yeah, God wrote plenty of letters for churches in America. And what, what do you mean by God wrote them for the churches in America? Well, well the, the thing that we're going to see tonight is that all Scripture, not just part of it, is breathed out by God. It is inspired by God, and therefore it is profitable for us. And not just profitable for the church in Ephesus, not just profitable for the church in Rome, not just profitable for the church in Jerusalem. It's profitable for every church that has ever existed across space and time. It is as good for the church here at Pleasant Grove at College Street. It's as applicable and profitable for you as beneficial for you as it is for my church over in Alcoa. And so as we look at this text tonight, I want you to see that because Scripture is God-breathed, it is profitable for life. It is profitable for all of life. Your life as an individual follower of Christ, your life in the church, and the life of the church. Scripture is profitable, beneficial for all of that. We see in this text, Paul, uh, in just these two verses, says all Scripture is breathed out by God. I want to pause just on that phrase, all Scripture. Because we need to like start thinking about this for just a moment. Because Paul is writing, we, we consider this whole Bible, and maybe you have your own copy there in front of you, Scripture. Okay, you may not consider every part of it, maybe the index in the front that was written by a publisher you don't consider, like the title page you may not consider, the maps in the back, sorry Paul didn't write those, draw those for you, God didn't inspire the maps, okay. But all the words in here that were written centuries ago, the, the latest of them written 18, 1900 years ago. Those words we consider breathed out by God as Christians, as, as, as believers, specifically as Protestants. We consider these 66 books inspired by God. But now here's a question. In that case, where are we getting this from? Because it's 2 Timothy we read tonight. It's in the book and it's claiming to be breathed out by God. Now when Paul was writing this, did he think this letter and all the other ones that he wrote that we have... And the Gospels that were starting to circulate and be written at, even after his death, did he have those in mind too? It seems like Paul was specifically referring to the Old Testament Scriptures. So first, he's, he's, he's pointing to the Old Testament Scriptures and saying, that's Scripture. That's breathed out by God. That's been inspired by God. The word that we have here that's translated Scripture literally means writings. Writings, graphe, if you if you are a Greek nerd or anything like that, just writings. Uh, throughout the the Bible, especially in the New Testament, the writings refer to the Old Testament, the the first five books of Moses, the prophets, the former and latter prophets, the the writings. All of these things are considered scripture. And so when Paul says all scripture, he has, I think, first and foremost in his mind while he's writing to Timothy, he has. Those books in mind, the 39 Old Testament books. So what about the New Testament? Can we even talk about it today? Does this verse even have anything to say about whether the New Testament writings are inspired? I think it does. 
When Paul, and if you take the time uh, to read throughout 2 Timothy, you'll see, and 1 Timothy as well, you'll see Paul using the word scripture or writings multiple times. He connects this oftentimes with the preaching of the gospel, with the gospel message itself. The the message of Jesus Christ, that, that God loved the world, even though it was fallen, even though it was sinful, And he sent his son to come and dwell in a human body, both body and soul, so that he could live a perfect life that we could not live and die a death that he did not deserve on a cross in our place. And that he was victorious over the grave and was resurrected from the dead by the power of the Spirit so that all those who believe in him who, who, who confess that he is Lord and believe in their hearts that God raised him from the dead, they can be saved. They can become a part of God's family. Through, through faith in the Son of God, they too can become children of God. That gospel message, that early church, what they call kerygma, that's what the early church scholars like to call it, the New Testament kerygma, that preaching is what Paul connects with the scripture in other places in his writings. And so I actually think that although I don't, I don't necessarily think Paul had in mind the four gospels that we have, the book of Acts, the New Testament letters, I do think he had more than just the Old Testament in mind. He had this preaching of Jesus Christ in mind. And later, the early church would then sit down and with many of the same standards in which they have affirmed the Old Testament writings as a part of the scripture, they also affirmed the 27 books we have in the New Testament. And with very little variation, they all agreed on what should be included. There wasn't as much debate as you might think about what books should be included. And so Paul is writing and saying all scripture, speaking both of the Old and to some extent the New Testament, is breathed out by God. That word breathed is so interesting to me. Uh, it, it combines the word theos, which means God, and pneumatos, which means spirit, together. To give you this idea of God spirited, not just God breathed, but God spirited. Scripture is God spirited. Makes me think of the Holy Spirit, right? This is why we often talk in theology about the spirit, the scripture being inspired. It's a very appropriate word to put here. That God, through his spirit, has breathed out this word. Uh, The word spirit often means breath as well. So there's the sense in which God has breathed out this word. He's not necessarily speaking every word. It's not like every word we have in the scripture God said. Especially if you have an English translation, right? God God doesn't speak English. He speaks Latin, right? No, I'm just kidding. In in our early... uh, if you have a copy of a Hebrew Bible or a, a New Testament, it, it would be in Hebrew or Greek or something like that. But even then, those versions we have aren't perfect. They're not perfectly what Paul wrote. They're not perfectly what John wrote. They're reliable. They're very, very close to accurate. But it's the original documents, the original writings that were fully inspired by God. But it wasn't like God like God in Matthew's ear and said, okay, write this down and then told him the story. It's not like he went to John and said, okay, get your pen ready. In the beginning was the word. And that's that's not how the scripture even talks about this process. It's just that God, through his spirit, 
He didn't speak all the words in our Bible. He breathed them. He inspired them. He influenced the writing so that what we have is true and reliable. But it's also the words of men. This letter written by Paul is Paul's words for Timothy. But it's also God's words for Timothy. And as we have collected it and studied it and made it a part of our churches, it's also God's word for us. And and, and why can it be that? Because all scripture is breathed out by God. Listen, if you had a personal letter written down to you, if you had a, if you had, if you went to work one day and you had all these sticky notes, I don't know if any of you have coworkers who like sticky notes, maybe you do, who like leave sticky notes in your office. What if one a day, like one of them was just signed like God, G-O-D? And you're like, okay, well, if that's really God, I would listen. Now, you're probably going to think what I am, which is, what is someone trying to do right now? But if you could actually have words from God for you in your life, you would want to listen. And in that same way, when we look to the scripture, we see not just one letter or one book or one testament. We have 66 books, a collection of, of writings some of them are stories, some of them are law, some of them are letters, some of them are, are, are narratives of the Gospels, some of them are poetry. Just about every genre you could want to engage. I mean, even if you like war movies, come on, read Daniel, read Revelation. I mean, everything's there for you. Read Judges, my goodness. If you like horror films, maybe you would really appreciate Judges. Not saying you should like horror films. I know Ash isn't a big fan of them, so I, I didn't say that, and you don't have to repeat it. But these books aren't just any other books. You know, it's one thing. I I love that y'all read uh, the Creed. The Nicene Creed is great. I'm a big fan. But God didn't inspire those words. God didn't breathe them. Now, you're as a church affirming them, saying, yeah, we believe this, so we're going to say it. And it's good for us to say it. I I bet sometimes y'all read books that aren't the Bible together. You know, that's okay too, right? That's not a problem. But you know what's good? Is when all those things fail... Or where those things are mistaken, God's word isn't. And not only can your church be established on the same book that mine is, but every church, every true church can be established on this same word. Why? It's breathed out by God. Why would we want something different? Now, those other things can be helpful. I have no problem with You can go to my office anytime. You'll probably tell me I have too much, too many books. And you're probably right. My wife definitely thinks you're right. But the point is, I have, I have just one book that could be sufficient for the rest of my life if I chose for it to be. Why? None of my other books are breathed out by God. They, they don't have things to say like this one does. Now, what does it mean that it's breathed out by God? It's profitable for us. That's what Paul says here. And profitable in what ways? For teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in Righteousness. I want to pause on each of these briefly. For teaching. The scripture is profitable for our teaching. That's why I think it's so important that all of our teaching in the church be influenced and shaped by and even founded on the scripture. This is why I think it's so beneficial that when you come here on Sunday evening, you know what is being preached? It's not just whatever feel-good book Ash was reading that year, okay? There are churches like that. It's not just the latest movie and you trying to attach Scripture to You're looking at Scripture, you're reading Scripture, and what's being preached? Scripture. 
You're learning straight from the book. Again, that doesn't mean in other settings it can't be helpful to start at a different place. But you know what? It's okay. It's okay if you read it. This afternoon I was reading, a, I just finished reading a book this month with a group of men in our church. And we are meeting this afternoon to, to discuss it. And you know what? It was really genuinely okay if we disagreed with it. And once we disagreed with it, we could go on disagreeing with it. The difference is when I meet with that same group of men and we read the Bible, I say, you can disagree with it. But when you do, you have to go, but I'm wrong. Like, that's a big difference between just reading any other book and reading this book. This one confronts us. This one tries to change us. And it's hard to walk away from it unchanged unless you're just completely ignoring the value of it. And this is just a side note. If you still have a King James version uh, that you got when you were a teenager from like your grandma, and you've been like, I can't really read the Bible very well. There's probably a reason, okay? Stop reading the King James Version. I There's some Baptists, I'm, I'm in a Baptist church, there's some Baptists I can't say that around, okay? But I'm going to say it here. You can. You don't have to read it. It's, it's not inspired. God didn't speak in King James. He didn't say, thou art whatever. No, okay? Just... You can read your King James and enjoy it and love it. It's great. It's beautiful English. But it's not your English. It's not the English you've been speaking your whole life. So it's okay to pick up something else. That's just a side note. But not only should our teaching in the church be founded in Scripture and corrected by Scripture, it should be in our homes. I don't know about some of you, if you have children or if you're married or if you live with other people. Maybe you have like roommates. Uh, especially if they're Christian, even if they're not. Practicing something like family worship is so meaningful and important. I don't know if, you, if you've done this before. Uh, there's a great book by Don Whitney called Family Worship. And he literally, but I'm going to give you the whole big point of it. Don't even have to buy it or read it, okay? Save you a lot of time. He says, all you got to do is sit down, read the Bible, pray, and if you feel like it, sing. And they, it doesn't have to be fancy. Sit down with your children, wrestle them down for like five seconds, pin them down, read a verse... Mom and dad want to talk about it, or if a couple of your buddies that you live with or friends from the neighborhood want to meet together and talk about it, talk about it. Sing a song if you want to. If you're not good at it, it's okay. Spotify and YouTube exist. Play a hymn, listen, sing it. I bet Cheeto will record a whole album for you if you'd really like. And you can just sing the songs you sing at church. And then pray. You know how long it has to take? If you sing a long song, five minutes at most. And that's, you know, you can read more scripture, okay? That's okay. Great practice to do. Let the teaching in your home be teaching God's word. Don't, this is just encouragement to parents. Don't let your children be taught by the world seven days a week, probably more hours than you even see them. Maybe if you homeschool, you see them more. But but don't let them be taught by the world all day and all, all night. And then not teach them anything at home from God's word. It's so important that we found all of our teaching, not just in the church, but in our home, on this this book, this collection of books. And not only that, but in our individual lives. We need to be taking in the Word and, and letting it teach us. Letting it, letting it tell us what is true, what is good, what is beautiful. And, and not just taking that from the movies we see or the TV show we happen to be watching that week. Or the one that we're binging for the tenth time over. I don't know if you all have those. We have those in our home. It's also profitable for reproof. Reproof here is, is the idea is, is more focused on belief. 
So reproving someone, according to this text, is when you go to someone to correct them about what they're believing, about what they've been teaching, about what they've been saying. So we might go to someone and, and, and be honest with them and tell them, hey, I think you're believing something wrong. Okay, best advice, don't just like pull out you know, the book you happen to be reading at a given time. If you can open the scriptures and point at verses or sections of scripture that are helpful for this, it's going to go so much farther. If they're a true believer, it's going to go so much farther for them to be convicted by the word of God instead of you. If you can open up the Bible and say, hey, here's what I've read in my Bible. It's convicted me of this, and I'm concerned that I'm seeing this in your life. And if you're not doing anything like this ever, uh, I would encourage you to read like Matthew 18, in which Jesus says, if anyone has sinned against you, go to them. Go to them. Don't go gossip about them. Don't go talk to everyone. You know, people love when they have a problem with someone to tell everyone but the one person that they have a problem with. And, and I don't know if you know this. When you have a problem with someone, there's there's only two possible people that could be the issue. That person and you. Okay? And it could be you. It could be you that's in the wrong. But if it's them, go to them with the word of God. Go with the sure. And if you can't find any scripture or any ideas taught in scripture, principles in scripture to correct them... You may want to slow down and ask, is this really that big of an issue? Because sometimes it's just simply not. Uh, I've seen people leave churches. Most of the time they don't leave over things that are firmly in this word, I hate to say. They leave over a lot of really trivial things. A lot of things that don't really matter a whole lot. Or over little battles and wounds they have with each other uh, that they never want to go back and reconcile and heal through. And, And so when we reprove someone for what they believe, we ought to do it with the scripture. When we're concerned that there's false teaching, listen, I, I know Ash. I know the other elders here. Well, I've only met you, but I've met Kyle a few times, okay? And these guys, if they were false teaching, they would want you to come and talk to them. If there's some, or even if they're not and you're just concerned about something they're teaching, they would much rather you come talk to them about it. And you know what? They could be wrong. Hate to say, I could be wrong. I'm probably wrong just about every week about something at my church. Uh, I keep telling them to come fix it at the end, but they never do. Uh, pastors actually, if you have a pastor who doesn't love when people come and ask them questions and try to correct them and help them be godly men, uh, they shouldn't be pastors, shouldn't be elders at all. They really just shouldn't. But it's also helpful not for just reproving and correcting the doctrine, what they believe. But it's also helpful for correcting how they live. He says it's helpful for correction. Doctrine and belief, or belief and behavior, doctrine and life tend to go together. I don't know if y'all have noticed this. Uh, if someone starts believing something false, it's not long before they start behaving in false ways. It goes in the other direction as well. It's not long before someone starts behaving a way that goes against God's word. They start believing things that go against God's word. And I don't even think I have to give you examples. You're probably already putting dots together in your head. It's pretty easy to see this pattern play out. And it plays out a lot in the Bible. Uh, one place that I just think of as First Timothy, that letter, go read it. Go read it and see how he connects. That the false teachers aren't just teaching false things, they're living false things. Those things go together so often. And that's part of the reason we should be quick to reprove and quick to correct when it's a Bible issue. Because if you don't deal with it then... It's only going to grow. And it's only going to lead to more false teaching and more false living. And you don't want that for your brothers and sisters in Christ. I know I don't. So we come to them with the word of God and we correct. 
And, and it can be touchy, guys. It can be difficult. But that's you have to come with love, with gentleness, with respect, and with God's word, not your own. But don't don't make the foundation of your reproving and correction of others your own thoughts, your own ideas. Make it the word of God. And again, if it's not in there and you can't clearly find it in this word, really pray and seek counsel from your pastors on whether it's worth bringing up at all. Because they may be able to give you a lot of wisdom and say, no, you're just being silly. No, you need to go pray about that. Your heart needs to change, not theirs. And it's also profitable for training in righteousness. I love this. The Bible's not just some information. It's not like you take a USB port and plug it into a computer and you upload everything and it's there. I love that. I love downloading PDFs and eBooks and all that. It's just there. It's not how the Bible works. The Bible takes time. It's more like a slow cooker than a microwave, okay? You, you can read a whole book very quickly and get a lot out of it. But you know what you can also do? You can read very little of it daily and just let it absorb into your mind. Let it shape you. Let it form you. Many times, many times, what we need is a long obedience in the same direction. Slowly and faithfully taking in God's word. Taking it in at church through the preaching. Taking it in at church through the singing and the prayers and the liturgy. Taking in at church in the small groups or the Bible studies. Those different places and, and spaces that you have. But also taking it in at home and in your daily life. You know, family worship is great. But there's another thing that I think it was the Puritans probably used this language of secret devotion. That's your, that's your quiet time, as Baptists have said in the past. Uh, I don't know where the word quiet time is in the Bible, that phrase, but I don't see it. I don't see secret devotion either, but it's the same thing. Your own personal time with God. That is so important. And, and encourage, I know you have new elders here, and, uh, and Ash probably won't listen to this, but if he does, just an encouragement that don't let your whole life of engaging Scripture be about you preparing to teach it. Or you preparing to lead a Bible study about it? But just let it be your life. Just let the Bible be your life. Why? Because you need to be trained in righteousness. You need to be trained to live like Jesus lived. To think like Jesus think. To teach like uh, Jesus taught. That's how we need to be formed. That's how we need to be trained. And so daily, even small incremental intake of God's word is so helpful. And why? What, what benefit is all this? All scripture benefits Christians by making them complete and equipped. So what was the purpose of it being breathed out and profitable? He says in verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Now, the man of God, this is one of those times I'm like, you can say man or woman of God. Okay, ladies, you can, you're fitting in there as well. If you are a Christian, if you are dedicated to the Lord and his work, this is for you. He wants you to have the scripture. Why? So that you may be complete. So that you may know all that he needs you to know. I was, again, having this conversation this afternoon with this group of men. So it's, it's so essential to the faith that Christianity is a revealed religion. What I mean by that is you can know as much about God as he has told you about himself. You are limited to, the, to God's revelation for how much you can know him and how much you can know about him. So we should take seriously that 
This book is exhaustive. This one has really small print, so it doesn't look very big. But there's quite a lot in here, right? It's exhaustive for us. If we are going to be complete, we need to center our lives taking this in. Because you are going to spend 10 years, 20 years, 40 years, 80 years possibly taking in this word. And you will, and if the Lord tarries and he does not return yet, you will pass away from this earth. And you will be in the presence of the Lord. And when he returns and raises you, and guess what? You will still be surprised by the things that you see and experience in the presence of the Lord. You'll still be surprised. But you're going to be much closer to him in this life. For your own benefit and for his, in a sense. If you commit yourself to, to making this a part of your walk with the Lord. Making this a part of your life with him. And your life in the church and of the church. You're going to be complete and equipped for every good work. I don't know if you've ever met someone who's a Christian who's really passionate about uh, mercy ministry. Or good works type ministry or different things like that. That's a great thing. Unfortunately, a lot of times those people, uh, I don't want to like categorize them too much, but oftentimes some of those people really struggle to see the value of slowing down, sitting down, and opening up the Bible. Like they may think the Bible's good, they may think it's really important, but they're doers. They want to be out there helping people, loving people, giving people food, giving people clothes, caring for them. That's great. But how are they going to be equipped for all of those good works and many more? From this, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training, for righteousness. That the man of God or the woman of God may be equipped for every good work. How are we supposed to do this? How are we supposed to live this life? How are we supposed to do church ministry? We have to be people committed to this word. We have to be committed to Scripture, and Scripture alone is the primary source for our beliefs about God and our understanding of what it means to live as a follower of Jesus in a lost and broken world. A world that is so desperately in need of Him. Now, I'm going to give you all... I think I have time for this. I say I have time. I'm going to give you all... This is is take it or leave it advice time. I'm going to give you all about, I'm going to say five. Five ways to allow Scripture to form and reform you as Christians. The first one, if you're note takers, you're going to want to get this down. You'll never remember it. Read Scripture. It's that simple. Read Scripture. Now, what I mean by read Scripture is a few things. Yes, I mean read Scripture in your service. Call to worship. Read a whole psalm. Uh, Confession. Read a whole psalm, read First John one nine. Several of those things in the service, and you read this passage. That was the sermon text. Yeah, read scripture when you gather together as a church. Make that a common thing. I know you all do that anyway, but it's a good reminder why we do it. If we want to have scripture that is breathed out by God profiting us, read scripture. And you know what? In your own daily life, read scripture then too. And what I mean by that specifically is don't just pick out your favorite parts. I know all of us, if we've been believers for very long at all and read much of the Bible at all, we probably have some favorite parts. Uh, maybe you find the, David, the story of David really inspiring. 
You know, the adultery really inspired you. No, uh, the uh, other stuff really inspired you, right? Maybe you like the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Maybe you like the story of Abraham and the faithfulness of God. Maybe you like any of those stories. Maybe you like the stuff in the New Testament. You're a gospel guy. You're, you really like the book of Acts and to see the early church at work and the spirit of God moving. Maybe, maybe you're, you're all about that. That's great. You know the problem with focusing just on those bits you like? You miss out so much that may actually challenge you, that may actually push against the parts of you that really need to get pushed against. It might take those rough parts of you and rub you know, a little bit of sandpaper on them and help smooth you out as a person, as a follower of Jesus. So my suggestion, pick some kind of Bible reading plan of some kind and do it. This is where I pause and say this is my advice. It's not a command of Scripture. So don't call me a legalist later. You don't have to do this. I think it's a good idea. Don't have to do it. So the best reading plan is going to be one you can actually finish. Okay, That's the first thing. So you see all those Bible in 30 days or Bible in three months. I've known people to do them. Uh, I didn't see them a whole lot while they were doing it. No, that's a joke. But, but maybe that's not the right plan for you because reading like 10 or 20 chapters of Scripture a day isn't really your bag. Some of you have a spouse and children that you have to care for. It's going to be very difficult, although it's great to try to take in as much Scripture as possible. It's going to be very difficult. So if you're going to do it, Pick a Bible reading plan you can actually finish. And for some of you, that's not a number of chapters or verses. It's an amount of time each day. I'm going to give 15 minutes to make sure I read my Bible today. I'm going to give myself an hour to make sure I read my Bible. When I say read, here's what I mean. Read. I don't mean study in depth. I mean read. Start with one verse and just read. When there's something that's confusing, underline it, circle it, put a question mark next to it. If you have a question, write it down. And you can do one of a few things. At the end of the week, you can take an hour and go through all those questions and try to answer them. You can go to your pastor and ask their counsel. You can also just leave it. Pray to God that you'll figure it out in the next year. Next time you come around to that part of the Bible, say, maybe I've answered it. My wife likes to do that sometimes. She'll leave some questions in her Bible. And then the next time she goes through her Bible, she sees those questions. And sometimes she says, I've answered those. Like, I've, I, I know the answer now. Uh, at least I think I know what the answer should be. <laughs> And so that's just helpful. Don't get stalled on things. Just read it. And, and that's a great practice and a really helpful one. Second thing to do, study it. I know, it's shocking. Y'all are all going to be so shocked by the end of this. I'm giving you, you know, five steps to a better life here. No, this is very simple stuff, elementary. Study the scripture. Go in depth. Take that time to say, I'm not just going to read through it and try to intake as much as possible. The reading, it's important. So that you hit parts of it that you wouldn't hit if you were just studying for depth. You, you need to get the whole counsel of God. But, but, but take some time just to study parts of it so that you get depth and you actually know what you're reading so that when you do read it, you know what's going on. A few ways you can consider doing that. Take the passage at your church that is being preached and take either sometime Sunday evening or Monday morning. Or if you know, I don't know if you'll put out the Bible passages ahead of time. Okay, well, maybe some... Anyway, the point is, take the Bible scripture passage from your Sunday gathering and study it on your own. Go to your pastor and say, hey, what is a commentary on the book of the Bible we're going through right now? I know y'all just finished Philippians not long ago. Go to Ash and say, hey, Ash, what's a good commentary that I can read, not that you can read, but that I can read, <laughs> to help me study Philippians? And then take a good study Bible 
I know y'all that use the ESV at this church. The ESV study Bible is great. And just take some time to pray and study the scripture. And it doesn't have to be harder than that. Just take the scripture you're studying. You can also do this. I imagine y'all may do this in your small groups. That, that you might take the scripture from Sunday occasionally and meet in smaller groups. If you don't do that, great practice to add to your life if you can manage it. Study it with your family, with your spouse, in any way you can. And maybe it's not that. Maybe you're like, I'm not so interested in what Ash is preaching right now, and I don't think it would be the best way to, you know. Instead, pick a book. Just pick one book of the Bible. Ask for a commentary recommendation from Ash or from one of the elders or something like that. And start going through it. Take that time once a week or so just to get more in-depth into Scripture. I think it's a really good practice. Read Scripture, study Scripture, and memorize Scripture. Memorize Scripture. And this one is harder for people. The other two are hard. People pretend they're not, and then people don't do them, and they're like, oh, that's easy, and then they never do it. Okay, they're hard. There's a reason spiritual disciplines are hard, uh, because they're going to make you more like Jesus, and there are people who have a vested interest in making you less like Jesus. There, there, there are evil forces in this world that don't want you to be like Jesus. If you're like Jesus, you're a problem, okay? So there's a reason that it's hard for you to open up your Bibles. There's a reason it's harder for you to study and to read and pay attention and preaching. Here's the third thing. Memorize scripture. Part of the thing is when you are in spiritual warfare, having scripture you can call to your mind is so helpful. When you are in the hour of temptation and you are tempted to a sin, maybe it's the sin you're most vulnerable to, the sin that keeps you up at night or that ruins your morning and the rest of your day. Whatever the sin may be, when you're in that temptation, you can recall scripture from your memory to help you fight on those occasions. We see this example given by Jesus himself. When he is tempted, he recalls scripture to say to Satan and to, to, to fight temptation using God's word. It's a very good practice to have in mind. Also this, it's not just about temptation. I don't know if any of you try to witness to people as a part of your Christian walk. I really hope you do. I, if I'm not mistaken, uh, I think I heard the other day that less than 5% of Christians have ever shared their faith. Um, and you wonder why all the churches are shrinking. I mean, it's kind of apparent at that point, isn't it? I, I hope you're making that a part of your life. I hope you have non-Christian friends that you are trying to influence instead of letting them influence you. One of the ways to witness to them is to have memory uh, scripture memorized. If there's someone who's dealing with depression, it's good to know. Maybe you have some verses memorized that have helped you in your battle with depression or anxiety. Uh, maybe maybe you're just calling to scripture basic or calling to mind basic scripture about the gospel. John three sixteen for God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You can do you can witness to someone with just one verse. Romans six twenty three for the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Simple verse you can use to explain the, the, the sin in their life, the result of that sin, which is death, the free gift of God. Uh, it's all there. All you have to do is memorize a verse of the Bible and you can start talking to people about your faith easily. Yeah, that's worth it to me. So for witnessing, for temptation, for your own growth, memorize scripture. Make it a part of your heart, not just, not just your head that you're going through during the day. Fourth thing, pray scripture. Pray scripture. When you speak to God, don't just let it be your own words. Like you're the smartest person around. 
It, it may just be that your words need to be a little bit more sanctified than your head wants them to be. Now, I think you can take whatever to the Lord, and He can handle it. Now, we see that in Job, we see that in the Psalms. My goodness, we see that in the Psalms. But wouldn't it be even better if instead of you just saying whatever came to your head, it was at least grounded in Scripture? It at least had a little bit of the the vocabulary and the grammar of Scripture? Not only that, it's not only so that we are preaching, or sorry, praying God's words back to Him. Here's a very good reason to pray the Bible. If you struggle with prayer in your own life, it's probably because it's boring. It's probably because you say the same old things about the same old things. And you're like, this is miserable. I mean, you don't want to admit it. But you're like, I don't pray for a minute or two minutes or five minutes. Because I would rather do anything else. Because I'm just going to rope memory. Pray for my mom. She's having a trouble with her knee. Praying for my grandma. She keeps calling me. No, I, whatever it might be. But if you go and you look at Scripture, you can pray. You can go to Psalm 23. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. Lord, shepherd me today. Shepherd me and, and lead me the way that you want. Comfort my heart. When I struggle at work with some of my coworkers that have been, that have been difficult or have been rude to me, that I feel like maybe just don't even like me or want me there, Lord, shepherd my mother through this time where she is struggling with her knee. My, my, my mom's fine, by the way. I'm just using this as an example. Using Scripture. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Lord, I don't want anything because you have provided me so much. And it doesn't have to be Psalm 23. It can be any of them. It can be any part of the Bible. The Psalms and the letters, best parts usually for Scripture, praying. Uh, but pray the Scripture. And when you pray in the church, it doesn't hurt to like premeditate your prayers, plan them out a little bit, and think maybe I should pray some words from Scripture. Maybe I should take a section of Scripture and pray that for my church family. But this morning I knew I was preaching this text tonight, so during the pastoral prayer I prayed this text. I just prayed this for our church. Final thing, I think that was four, yeah. Final thing, preach Scripture. Now, some of you are thinking, I'm not a preacher, nor do I want to be. I'm not even the son of a preacher, nor do I want to be. I completely understand. If, if You don't have to formally preach, though, in order to preach the gospel, in order to witness the gospel, in order to teach and explain the gospel to other people. There are some of us who are called to preach from behind a pulpit. Some of you are called to preach behind a countertop or at the dinner table. Or wherever, or maybe at the podium in your classroom at the school. Now, I'm not arguing that you should rip out a Bible and just start, Jonathan Edwards said, I'm not saying anything like that. I'm just saying preaching is just telling people the gospel, telling people the good news of Jesus and supporting that idea with Scripture. And if that's the case, preach the Scripture. Have it ready. Not just memorized. Be a person who is preaching. One of the... Do you know, it surprises me sometimes when I talk to Christians and I hear their testimony and I ask them some questions. How many of them became a Christian after someone invited them to study the Bible with them? Like, I have been surprised to know young people and older people alike who were going through difficult times or just started attending youth group and some of the girls or some of the guys or people at work came to them and said, Hey, uh, do you want to do a Bible study with me? I, I think it would really help you. I know one of our, my church members, when she was working, she's retired now, when she was working, she had a coworker who could not make decisions. 
She was so indecisive and worried all the time. And she said, hey, I, I think what you need is a way to make decisions. Could, could we sit down and read the Bible together so that you can see a better way in order to make decisions? And, and the lady did it. And the lady became a believer and was baptized after, after going through Bible study with this other lady. You might think the Bible isn't the best way to reach lost people. And sometimes it's not the first thing you should bring into the equation. Uh, you, this is just a side note. Jesus was a friend of sinners. It's not above you to, or below you to be a friend of sinners. Be a friend of sinners. But, but do it like Jesus. Don't let the sinners change you. Change them. Jesus was a friend of sinners. Not because he would compromise and go sin with them. But because when he was around them, he became... Well, he didn't become anything. He, he was exactly what they needed. And, and some of you... Choose your friends like this. If they're Christian, they should help you become more like Jesus. Uh, if they're not Christian, they should help you become more like Jesus. When you're friends with them, you should become like Jesus was to sinners. It's, it's just as simple as that. And so if, you have friend, if you're friends with sinners, if you're friends with people who are not Christian, preach scripture to them. It may just be that you have someone in your life you can even think of right now. You're just going, could I get them to read the Bible with me? Like, could I get, could I get them just like to sit still for a second and like stop worrying about all the garbage in their life and like maybe actually just like read it? Um, warning. People who are not Christian and have not grown up in the church will say crazy things about the Bible sometimes. I had a friend that long distance, I was encouraging him in his walk with the Lord. Uh, well, he's not a Christian, but I was encouraging him to uh, begin to walk with the Lord. And, uh, and I encouraged him to read the Gospels. And he texted me one day and he's like, yeah, so like in Matthew, Jesus sounds like a cult leader. I'm like, oh, goodness, I, this, is, this is not what I was hoping for. They're going to say crazy things. Uh, but you know what? That's good for you. Because sometimes we have been so... We've heard these things so many times. It goes right over our head. We don't even realize how crazy some of this sounds to people. How radical some of it is. Or how normal. Until we actually get in people's lives. So the last thing is preach scripture. Preach it in your pulpit. Make sure your pastor does. If you ever leave this church because you're moving uh, or, or whatever. Go to a church that preaches scripture. It, guys, time, life is too short to go to a church that preaches anything else. It is just too short to go to a church that wants to fill you with a bunch of stuff that's not in this book. And, and I'm happy to say all this because, uh, like you, it's Reformation Sunday. I'm a Protestant, and we ought to be committed to Scripture and Scripture alone. And we ought to fill our lives with it so that we are new and better people because of it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that we have in coming to it and knowing that it can actually be helpful to us. We pray, Lord, that uh, if there's anyone in here who is, is, has not been changed by your spirit, that they would hear this message of your love for the world, that you gave them a written word inspired by the spirit so that they could know you. Lord, uh, we pray that they would not 
pass by on an opportunity to know you and to truly know you. I pray that they would reach out to the person who invited them or to one of the elders and and, and talk to them about how they can know you more. Lord, for everyone here who has been following you and, and just wants more of you, maybe in their life they actively can say, I need more of Jesus, I just simply don't have enough. Lord, I hope that they would rest assured that with your spirit dwelling in them and with your inspired word in their hands, they have enough. They have all that they need so that they can know you, so they can love you, so they can live for you, so that they can know the truth and it will set them free to live in a new and better way than this world could ever give us. Lord, we pray that you would just continue to open your word to us, that we would commit to practices that build ourselves up in your scripture. Commit ourselves to reading it. The whole thing, not just our favorite parts. That we commit to studying it, making it a part of our life, getting deep into it and understanding it. That, that we would pray it. That we would pray those words back to you, that we would memorize it and make it part of our hearts, not just our mind. And Lord, that we would preach it, that we wouldn't leave it to ourselves, but we would bring your scripture, your word, your gospel to the ends of the earth, starting here in Maryville, going through Blunt County in East Tennessee, all the way across this world. We pray these things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Please stand and sing the close of the song.